I'm happy to announce that March 1st is the official release date of the New Thinking Aloud magazine's first quarterly issue. You can download free PDF copies from the website of the New Thinking Aloud Foundation. If you like a high-quality printed edition as a collectible, you can order it from magcloud.com. Thinking Aloud. Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Emmy Vadness, co-host with Jeffrey Mishlove. Our topic today is Adventures in Precognition. My guest is Marcia Emery, who is a psychologist and a pioneer in the field of applied intuition. As a college professor, she expanded into parapsychology, blending intuition and dreams. Marcia is author of Dr. Marcia Emery's Intuition Workbook, an expert's guide to unlocking the wisdom of your subconscious mind, the intuitive healer, accessing your inner physician, and power hunch, living an intuitive life. Marcia is located in Ashland, Oregon. Now I'll switch over to the internet video. Welcome, Marcia. It is a pleasure and a joy to have you with us on New Thinking Aloud today. I'm delighted to be here. Excited and delighted. You have had a very full, rich career developing your intuition. Really, it came to you in dreams and even teaching at the college level. Can you share how you got into this field? Oh my, this morning when I thought about our program, <laughs> the words that came into my mind were, you've come a long way, baby, <laughs> if you remember that expression. And, you know, I, I don't think of it as being a long way. It's like you put your feet, you just do what you have to do in front of you. And, and it goes, goes along. So, you know, I guess it started um, in Washington, D.C. I mean, way before that, I was always intuitive. I was hearing things. I was knowing things. I was even knowing the test questions <laughs> before they came. But uh, the, the big one where my <clears throat> intuitive doorway was just simply flung open happened in Washington, D.C., and so to give this some background, what was I doing at that time? I was a faculty member at Federal City College, now the University of the District of Columbia in Washington, D.C. And I'm teaching psychology to undergraduates. I also had a couple evening classes. They weren't graduate students yet. but uh, And then I had another love at the same time. Now, I shouldn't mention I'm single, so that, that wasn't my other love. <laughs> but my other love was dance. I was a dancer, and I loved my dance. I had a dance group. I had a dance partner uh, from Trinidad. We would rehearse in the morning. I would take dance classes uh, at Federal City College. Uh, Mike Malone came over from Howard University, brought Debbie Allen 
you know, I'll have something to say about that. You know, and I would take dance classes with people. I loved my dance. So there were the two parts of me. There was the professor and there was the creative part of me. So shall I go on and just jump right into or fly right into my breakthrough moment? Please. I wake up. It's the month of May. 1971. And my heart is just beating rapidly. I don't know where I am. And I'm looking around and I'm thinking I'm in the middle of an accident and I'm absolutely panicked. Just panicked. Wow. Well, what, what is happening now? And suddenly I get, Oh, look, I'm in my bedroom. It took me a while to realize I'm in my bedroom. <sighs> And I go like that, I heave a sigh of relief, and I remember, hmm, I had a dream. I had a dream. And in that dream, I'm driving, and I put my foot on the brake, and it goes right to the floor. And the car rolls over, and I get out unharmed. Now, we have to back up a moment here, before the dream. How do I remember the dream? How do I even know I had a dream? Well, it all started with my mother. That was the starting point. And my mother hands me this little book, and it was an astrological annual for Pisces. And my mother hands it to me, and I said, what is this? And as only a mother could say, oh, it's cute. I said, cute? She said, yes, it's fun. Read it, read it. So I open it up, and I open it up to the part where it says, Pisces, keep a record of your dreams. Something very important is about to happen. So that's what I did. I got this old steno book that I had, and I dated it. And I said, you know, I'll put this down and whatever comes up. So that was the dream that came up. So here I am, a psychologist. You don't tell a psychologist she's going to, you know, hurt herself or harm herself. And I said, well, that was an interesting dream. And I wrote it down, but I, I forgot about it. I forgot about it. And then it was the very next day. It was Saturday morning. This is real life now. Real, real lifetime. Waking, we call it. Waking physical reality. And this Saturday morning, and I'm on my way to rehearse with my dance group, group, group. Uh, let's call it my dance group. And I'm, I'm with Mike, and Mike was one of my dancers, and uh, I pick him up, and he's sitting in what we call the death seat next to the driver at that time. No seat belts. And we're driving down, and we're driving down G Street, Washington, D.C., Saturday morning. Cars everywhere, everywhere. And uh, la la, you know, I'm just merrily driving along. And I put my foot on the brake and it goes right to the floor. I said, Mike, my brake isn't working. He said, pull up the emergency. And I did. That's not working either. I had a split second to decide. What am I going to do? Do I crash into all the cars in front of me or to the people on the sidewalk? I did something very uncharacteristic. I got very still and I said, what will I do? 
and I heard a voice. The voice said, make a quick right. I made a quick right. I got between two men's clothing stores. Before I crashed, there was somebody in front of me, in front of the car. They got out of the way. The car crashed. It was a complete accordion. And uh, I sat back and I looked at Mike. Nothing on him. No scratch, nothing. I got out of the car. I had a little scratch. So what does this mean? Hmm. Was that part of the prophecy? I, I didn't know what that meant. But I go back and I look. That That's very, very strange. And then one thing after another began to happen. I left out a little detail, just a small detail. But when I held that book, the Sidney Omar book, I said, you know, I'm going to, I said to myself, I'm going to meet him someday. So you see these strange things. I never used the word strange or weird, but they were happening to me. You know, Sidney Omar holding that book. Hey, well, what is happening? Hearing a voice, making a quick right. What else is going to happen? Well, what happened to me was even more surprising. I get home, and as soon as I walk in the door, now I'm living in Washington, D.C. My mother is living outside of Philadelphia in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. As soon as I got into the door, the phone rings, and it's my mother, and she said, how's your car? Holy mackerel, right? I didn't want my mother to know I was in the middle of a major accident because I was due to drive there shortly and in a couple of weeks. So I said, Mom, what kind of question is that? You don't ask how I am. You don't ask how Clyde is. That's my cat. But you ask, how's your car? And she started crying. And she said, I don't know why I asked you that. I'm sorry. And I said, it's okay, Mom. I was just in a major accident. I'm okay. I have to get a new car. I'll still be able to drive when I get the new car. Okay. Now, what was this all about? My mother calling me at that moment? I didn't know at that time what was going on. I'll explain all these weirdness. Because ever since that day, Weird things happen, but I never use the word weird again. Because you know why, Emmy? They became very usual things happening in my life. So before we leave Washington, D.C., okay, it's Saturday night, and I woke up the next morning, and I had a dream. And the dream was, from the previous night, I'm driving down 16th Street Northwest, on my way to an 11 o'clock meeting at the Federal City College building where I taught. And as I'm driving, uh, I hear a snap, and I wonder what that is. And I pull my car over, try to guide it, pull it over to the curb, and I see a policeman approaching. And as he's approaching, I look up and I see no parking in the dream. And I say, officer, I'm on the way to an 11 o'clock meeting and my brake isn't working. Can you watch my car so I don't get a ticket? That was the dream. 
get up, dutifully wrote the dream down, recorded the dream. And again, I said, holy moly, this can't happen. <laughs> I have a brand new car. What is happening? This just couldn't happen. So I just ignored it. And I went on my way to that 11 o'clock meeting. It was a literal dream. I couldn't believe this. I'm driving along. And when I hear that ping, I later found out that it was my brake cable. The brake cable snapped in a brand new car. What are the odds of that? The brake cable snapped. And when I looked up and I saw the policeman coming, it was like in my mind, I said, oh, I said, deja vu. I saw this. This already happened. But the exact same thing happened. The policeman coming up. I'm on my way to the 11 o'clock meeting. Would you mind my car, etc.? You had two dreams that were precognitive telling you about accidents and cars. One was with a previous car and one was with a brand new car. That's right. That's right. My reaction, I thought I was losing my mind. I mean, psychologists work with other people's minds. I thought I was losing my mind, especially since the second dream was so literal. And I'll add a little detail. I watched The Exorcist the night before. So I thought, oh, you know, things are, you know, bumping in the night and influencing me. That's what I thought what was happening. I had no idea. But I couldn't get the connection of, look at this. I held Sidney Omar's book in my hand when my mother gave it to me, and I said, I'm going to meet him someday. I mean, that was absurd. He's world famous. I'm Marcia Nobody teaching, you know, psychology. Uh, make a quick right. How's your car? What are these things telling me? I, I had no language for it. I was a straight psychologist. And little did I know, with those dreams, Emmy, my intuitive doorway was being flung wide open, wide, wide open. Enter intuition. That was my intuitive doorway. And uh, so uh, I, I like to uh, say a little bit about these dreams, and then I'm going to turn it back to you, because I, I had precognitive dreams and 1971 to the current, and I still have them. And a precognitive dream, it feels extraordinary, just extraordinary. And it takes us into a realm of unlimited possibilities beyond time and space. So what's the key word here? <laughs> Your favorite word and mine. What's our favorite word? Intuition. <laughs> to understand precognition, let me start with intuition. Because to me, intuition is the big umbrella. Let's call it a, an umbrella, a rubric, the title. And underneath, you have precognition, and you have other things, extended senses, clairsentience, the feeling, clairvoyance, the seeing, clairaudience, the hearing. Those things are prominent. Oh, what else can we put in there? Past lives, lucid dreaming, creativity, spirituality. Anything we want to lump, lump into that is called anomalous dreams. And these are all dreams that push 
the boundaries. They expand our perception beyond the usual boundaries. So there we have precognition. Uh, cognition knowing pre, knowing before. And so you know before because you have a dream and you're sent information. You had a whole series of precognitive dreams beginning in 1971 that just kept happening over and over. Are there any that come to mind that really seem to really seal the deal for you as a college professor in psychology to expand more and learn more about what's happening? Because then you eventually taught at a college level. This journey didn't happen overnight. And I didn't even identify. Let's go back to feeling the book, hearing the voice, my mother connecting with me, uh, even knowing a dream that came true. So uh, I finally was fed up with Washington, D.C. The, the emotion, the, the racial and the emotional tension that was going on was really, really strong. And so uh, I needed to do an escape. And I escaped to my island in the sun. That's Bahamas. And I said, you know, I was there once. Let, let me just go back and visit. In fact, uh, my friend Susie is down there now. I'm going to send her. Uh, we didn't have emails or texts, but I'm going to call or somehow I'm going to let her know or just show up that I'm coming down. And I get down to the Bahamas with its beautiful teal water and, uh, and people look at you and you're not white or black or pink or green or blue. You know, there wasn't that overtone of, of the racial negativity. And I just felt so relieved because the college that I taught at was a predominantly black college. So that's an important part of this. So it was the second night and I have a dream. And in the dream, uh, I see an old boyfriend. Marty Shames. And I hear somebody say, Marty Shames will interview you now. And I look up and I'm at the Renaissance Revitalization Center. Okay, record it, record it. I wake up and I said, huh, what does this mean? What does this mean? Now I'm already in the Bahamas. Remember in Nassau, Bahamas, I arrived a couple days before. And I said, well, what do I have to lose? Renaissance Revitalization Center. I'll make a, a cold call. But I was again puzzled. Why did Marty Shames show up? He was an old boyfriend. <laughs> we went out maybe 10, 11 times. You know, why was Marty Shames in that dream? I hadn't thought of him for quite some time. So lo and behold, I find out, I find the phone number for a Renaissance Revitalization Center. And I tell them I'm a psychologist and I would like to come and visit and see your facility. And I would like to explore the possibility of working there. And you know what she said to me? Well, come right in. Our director, Mr. Shames, will see you shortly. Again, where, what's going on here? Mr. Shames. So that was lesson number one. And you have to appreciate, as I didn't completely appreciate, at every stop along the way, I'm learning about 
this whole process that I didn't even know the word precognition or psychic or parapsychology. I didn't know any of those words, but here I'm learning. Okay, so a name was given to me. That was a clue. It was two names, the Renaissance Revitalization Center and the Shames name. So I said, well, this is pretty good. Let me, uh, let me see what else is going to happen here. And so we go back to the next significant dream. And somehow when the intuitive doorway flung open, so did my intuitive abilities. And I was gravitating toward things like tarot decks. And I pick up the tarot and I'm fooling around and I say to a friend, let me, you know, read for you. And a woman comes along and she looks at me and this is in the Bahamas. And she says, I could see in your eyes, you're, you're psychic. Read for me. I didn't know what to say. I mean, I'm a psychologist, two masters and a PhD. And someone is saying, read for me. I didn't dare, dare tell anybody what I was doing with this deck of cards. So I said, okay. And I read for her and she said, you're pretty good. So I started developing a reputation. Okay. And the reputation, I had to be very careful because Bahamians called this fortune telling. And if you were found fortune telling, you were thrown into jail. That's the last thing I wanted to happen to me. So how do you make this reputable? You volunteer your services at things like the Bahamas Red Cross Association when they have the fair. And so you have a booth. You're the psychic <laughs> and you have a booth. And of course, I did that and donated all the money and everybody lined up. <clears throat> but what happened to me before I came to do my my duty, let's call it my readings at the fair, I had a dream that night. And in the dream, I had my big red pocketbook and it was stolen. And I wake up and sometimes the dreams are very pointed and short. Notice that. And I said, okay, my big red pocketbook was stolen. I'll take my little red pocketbook and I go off to the fair. Well, the bottom line, at some point, somebody snuck into where I was and stole my pocketbook and all the money there. Okay. I want to call myself dummy, but I don't like that name. I said, okay, wake up, wake up. Red is red. That's nuance. So I'm learning about metaphor, not only the names, but I'm learning about the nuance of it. Is this beginning to shape up to what's happening? So, okay, I'm going on and I'm waiting for my uh, assignment to be teaching. Eventually, I taught uh Eventually, I not only taught, but I was in charge of, uh, oh, the counseling center, and then I'm teaching, and then I ended up teaching for the Bahamas. A whole range of things happened, but it didn't stop me from the intuition developing. Okay, so very briefly, am I listening? No, I'm not listening really to the dreams, because I had a dream. I was going to visit my folks, and uh, I was flying, and in the dream, I missed my plane and the luggage was lost. And I had that right before I was flying. Did I heed it? No. I'm a slow learner. <laughs> or we could call me a no learner <laughs> at that time. And uh, lo and behold, I fly to Philadelphia 
where my father's supposed to pick me up at the airport. Well, it turned out that the plane was late. Things were changed. The gate was changed. I just missed everything. And my luggage was lost. The worst of it was that my father had to wait for me for five hours at the airport. So this was another lesson. Ah, you're given information. Heed it. And I'll say this about precognitive dreams. They give us possible or probable futures, but nothing is set in stone. So when they give us something like this, that is, we say kind of negative, that you're going to have an accident or miss something, you're empowered. You empower yourself to do what? Take the power to make a change. I could have had my brakes fixed if I was hip. And here I could have alerted my father if I was hip, but I still wasn't on to what was happening. So that, those were some of the things that, that, that was, that was happening to me when I was in the Bahamas. At what point did you move from being a, we'll say a traditional psychology professor to embracing your intuitive abilities and then actually using them professionally and also in the academic setting? It happened slowly, but surely. And uh, I come from the Bahamas, where I had a four-year contract at their university. It was a junior college for two years. And I'm also, uh, as I said, teaching uh, for the university in Jamaica. Not, not Jamaica, New York, but <laughs> the island Jamaica, you know, in the Caribbean. And uh, I come back. And somehow I was led to Florida. And it's interesting, the Shivananda Yoga Center played a role in this. So all these different things were coming in. And through the Rosners who were involved with the Shivananda Yoga Center heard me in. She just looked at me in the Bahamas and she said, you know, we need you to teach for us at an academic center. So that led me anyway to Florida. The center was just developing. And in Florida, I came to the Florida Society for Psychical Research, led by Lilia Loget. And it was a wonderful place, and they were very pleased. She was very pleased to have me, because here I am. Again, I have to, it's not boasting, but it's the truth. Two masters and a PhD at the Florida Society for psychical research. It's credentialing them back and forth. So I'm not teaching at the time. And, you know, I'm feeling a little wobbly because I'm out of my, uh, my zone with, with teaching. But, uh, sooner or later, the mediums there that came through, the healing centers, I began to hear a little about Psy. But what was my pivotal moment? I found a book on the bookshelf. Psy, P-S-I, Psy, Explorations by Edgar Mitchell. And I look at the contents. Precognition. I didn't even know what precognition was. And so, oh my God, precognition, can you believe it? And I started. It described explicitly the dreams I had been having. Now, I think this is around 1981, so this is 10 years later. I'm first learning, learning about this. 
And I, I was ecstatic to know what was happening. So let, let me just take a step back for a moment. Uh, let me take the psi itself umbrella. I already did intuition and I said the different experiences underneath. And we know precognition. So if we take ESP, extended sense perception, clear audience, remember, make a quick right. Holding Sidney Omar's book, Claire's Sentience, Feeling the Thing. And what was my mother's thing? How's your car? Mind-to-mind communication. Mind-to-mind communication. Telepathy. Mind-to-mind communication. And by the way, if I say extended sense perception, it's clairvoyance is the extended seeing, the extended feeling. The ex- you know, we, we can go through all of the the senses there. So I was beginning to make sense of what was happening to me. Florida was pivotal for you. Florida was incredible for me. Watch what happened here. Watch, listen, <laughs> learn. That That's what I had to do. I was still learning. So here I am at the Florida Society for Psychical Research. Me, Dr. And I wasn't Emory then, by the way. I was Dr. Becker. Dr. Becker, uh, Dr. Mickey Becker was my nickname. Mickey was my nickname. And, uh, I, uh, what, what happened from all of these influences on me, I became known as a psychic in Florida. And, and that, that, you said, how did I make this leap? Bridging the gap from where I was because I wasn't teaching and I became known as a psychic and I was well publicized and I was well visited. So on this particular day at the Florida Society for Psychic Psychical Research, Lilia Loget is having a psychic fair. So who's one of the readers in the psychic fair? Moi. <laughs> and uh, a man was sent to me. And uh, I had people came for readings. Uh, I lived in a cottage and people came for readings in my cottage. And it was nice uh, seeing this man. But something happened before. There, too, it seemed like I always had dreams a day or two before I met somebody, you know, or something pivotal happened. So dream time now. In the dream. I'm with Carl Sloan, and we're so happy being with each other. There's intimacy. We're walking along a beach, and we laugh, and we're just having a lot of fun, and we're talking, and I'm visiting him there along this beach, wherever it is, and then I had to go back to my home, and I was just so sad to have to leave and come back to my home. So I didn't think of that dream when I'm meeting the man who came to be read. Do you understand the language being read? Right. mean who read a book. It took me a long time to get that language down. His name was Weston Agor. And Weston comes in, a nice-looking man, and he sits down. And, uh, you know, he says, you know, I live in Florida, and I don't want to tell you too much, but I'm getting ready to go to the West Coast, I'm going to have a year sabbatical, and I'm wondering how it's going to be, and so on. 
And so I'm reading for him and telling him things. And in the middle of the reading, I'm looking at him and I'm saying, oh, my God, he looks like Carl Sloan. Carl Sloan was someone I went to high school with 27 years before. And here, Carl Sloan, Carl Sloan. And I got a little distracted, but I had to focus on what was happening. So I focused and Weston had questions for me. And he said, you know, we're just uh, tapping the surface. I have two sons. I want to talk to you about my sons and what's happening with them. Can I come back and have a private reading with you tomorrow? So I give him my card and he comes back for a private reading. So it didn't matter what we talked about, but the reading was going on. By now, I kind of caught the connection, but I didn't know what the beach, I didn't know what all that was about. I mean, I, I'm kind of very set in Hollywood, Florida, not Hollywood, California, and he's going to California, and I'm right there in Florida. So I didn't know what was going on. But uh, as we talked, and uh, he was very taken by me, he was smitten by me. And he calls that night and he said, I'm flying, you know, I'm starting my drive. Would you like to uh, come with me? I was shocked. <laughs> I'm a very proper moral person and I'm obviously still single at this time. Uh, and I said, I'm just, just shocked with what's happening here. So but bottom line, every night we spoke on the phone. I ended up, he ended up, I should say, sending me an airfare ticket to fly out to where he is. And as the dream showed, we walked along the beach, we laughed, we were happy, just as the dream showed, and I came back. So what, what's the big deal about this? Just another precognitive dream? No, this turned out to be a life path dream. Okay, how is this a life path dream? Weston calls and he said, you know, I have to do this project. And uh, this project is very important for research. It has to satisfy the requirements of why I'm out here for a year. And I'm really interested in finding out how psychics can use ESP. Now, I didn't tell you, his field is political science. And he wants to blend psychics and ESP. So our romance is heated up by this time. I've gone out there. He wants to come back and visit. And at the same time, he wants to visit and see his sons, etc. So when he comes to visit and he's at the Florida Society for Psychical Research, I hand him Douglas Dean's book, Executive ESP. Douglas Dean, way back, was a doctor, was a physicist, and he did work on managers and how they, he called it psychics, you know, he called it profits became, made profits. ESP, executive ESP, profits who could see made profits the money. Well, Weston took that and he ran with it. So Weston eventually goes back to Long Beach and he devises a set of scales about intuition. He gets in touch with managers all over the place, middle-level managers, upper-level managers. Weston ends up writing a book called Intuitive Management. 
Are you surprised if I tell you I'm one of the people, aside from his mother or sister, that the book was dedicated to? Because I was the one that got him on this path. And so he's busy, you know, doing that. And he's excited and we're still in touch. We're on again. We're off again. Uh, but what happened with that book uh, for me, at the time, I didn't know that it was a harbinger of my teaching intuition. So eventually, you know, that book was very exciting to see it. It was dedicated. But to go back to Florida for a minute, as you can see, so many things happened to me at the Florida Society for Psychical Research. Here's another one I think you'll find and the listeners will find amusing. Oh, this was another day where I'm just doing a reading. Casually, two people come and I don't feel like doing a reading that day, but there was no one around to do it. So Marcia had to do it. So two people walk in and the woman looked very imposing. She was wearing a turban and there was a man. She was kind of dragging him along with her. And I always had people sign into my office, my cottage there with their name. So I asked her for her name and she signs it off. And it's just so scribbly. You can't even read what, what is happening. So I go on with the reading and I said, I don't know her name. And I just say, you know, it seems to me I'm feeling that you have a very famous son, but he doesn't live here where you live in Florida. He lives on the other coast and you go back and forth and he's uh, involved in doing things and his name with what he's doing is becoming well known out in Hollywood. He's making movies. I don't know what I'm talking about, but I'm just telling her this. So when we finish, she says to me, you were 99% accurate. I didn't tell you my real name. I look at her. She said, my real name is Jackie Stallone. And I said, oh, you must be Sylvester's mother. She said, yes. She said, you're talking about my famous son. I didn't give you any indication of Sylvester being my son. You are amazing. So I hear the name Jackie Stallone and I say to her, you know, Sydney Omar. I want to meet Sydney Omar. And she says, okay, uh, I'll hook you up with Sydney. Uh, you know, he might be interested in you as a psychologist who's interested in astrology. Okay. Jackie connects me with Sydney Omar. Sydney says to Jackie, is this kid, he calls me a kid, is this kid good? And I end up not only writing for Sidney Omar, but Sidney Omar had an astrological annual that went all around the world. And I wrote for six years in his astrological annual. Now, remember I touched the book when my mother handed me that little book? And I said, I'm going to know him. So, yes, you know, I, I knew Sidney and I even got to meet him personally, etc. Et and he kind of taught me about writing because when I sent my first piece to him, he said, my God, you're so academic. Tell the story. So he wanted me to write things like uh, astrology and tarot uh, as a psychologist uses the horoscope astrology and reincarnation. He wanted me to write about astrology and my love life. Uh, 
but the things that he had me write were, were most interesting and sent me on a course of their, their own. So that was another thing that happened in Florida. Last but not least, in terms of dreams, I was having dreams about a man named Leo. And Leo was tall, blonde, very, very shy. And we were in the same healing group together. And Friday night at the society, everybody would gather and the healers would do laying on of the hands healing. I was one of the healers. Leo was one of the healers. So I have this dream about Leo. And I meet Leo and he smiles at me and I smile back at him. And we end up having an intimate relationship. There's so much warmth and love flowing between us. Again, a simple dream. Well, I woke up and this is now waking physical reality. I'm stunned. I wasn't interested in any way in Leo in a romantic way. In fact, (laughs) after that dream and the intimacy of it, I was very embarrassed when I would see him at the healing circle. My God, is he reading through me this dream that I had about him? While I'm in Florida, you know, many things happen. And I went, Florida is hot and it's humid and I wanted to get away. And I was invited to be a counselor at the Spiritual Frontiers Fellowship, SFF. And it was held in Michigan. So I was so happy to get out of Florida. And uh, in fact, my friend Carol Learos, who was a well-known psychic at the time, she was the one that told me, write to SFF. They have five different centers. And, you know, you could do counseling there, you, meaning readings there. They'd be so happy to have you, as well as giving a workshop on what you do. So I end up, and the workshop... uh <laughs> that I was proposing was called Bridging the Gap Between Psychology and Parapsychology. I was on the docket. They accepted me of five centers. Only one center accepted me, and that was Michigan, Southern Michigan. So I go to this conference, and as soon as I get there, they tell me, there's a man asking for you. Well, that's nice. You know, I'm single. And they said, it's the yoga instructor. So the bottom line, I ended up meeting the yoga instructor. I didn't know him at the time at all. Uh, I saw in the program that he was doing a program with his wife. I didn't know that his wife wasn't there, you know, that she had gone off someplace. Well, the bottom line, this yoga instructor and I, who had this just fascinating chemistry, ended up falling in love. It sounds like I fall in love with everybody, but falling in love. And uh, six months later, we were married. And I had to move to Grand Rapids, Michigan. Grand Rapids, Michigan. So I don't want to go through the details of that story. Uh, It's very warm. It's very loving. You know, it's very loving how from Florida, Hollywood, Florida, I got up there. So yes, Now, what is the connection of Jim Emery, my current name, Emery, that I've had for the last 40 years? (laughs) What is the connection of Emery? Uh, Remember the Leo dream? Well, 
Leo is a fire sign. Jim is an Aries, a fire sign. I love astrology, so it's not surprising to me that I was sent a Leo, an astrological figure, to represent another fire sign coming up in my life. So that's how I went from there to there. So now I'm in a new land. My journey took me to a new territory. I met Wesson in Florida, and I thought he was kind of behind me, but he wrote this book. And as it turned out, uh, a couple things happened to me now in Grand Rapids. I'm already married. Let's be clear about that. My last name now is Emery. It is no longer Becker. And uh, I am trying to get a position teaching, which didn't happen. So I'm doing home studies uh, teaching from my home. And I'm in love with parapsychology. I'm just in love with it. And so I'm teaching courses in Psy. Uh, and I'm teaching people how to connect with their intuition. So while all of that is going on, I have to go back to July. And it was shortly after, actually, I met Jim. Oh, my God, I just made that connection. It was shortly after I met Jim. Uh, I, I started having dreams of, they were very strong, and I didn't make this point very clear. Precognitive dreams, for me, were very vivid. They were very clear. Now, I used to call them lucid dreams. Lucid meaning clear, not as the lucid dreamer is now known, somebody who knows that they are, are dreaming. I'm in Grand Rapids now, and it's four years that Jim and I have been married. And my mother, who I was very, very close to, we were like best friends. And she was a very, very healthy woman. And what had puzzled me is in July, I started having some dreams, not so much about her, but it's like I was seeing people from my, my family. We were all gathered together. These dreams came in July. And it, I couldn't understand. And the next, you know, set of dreams, people were gathered. And the Jewish people, that's my heritage, have this ritual where you wear, it's called a, a yarmulke, a skull cap, a purple skull cap. It's not necessarily purple. But in my dream, I saw a group of people wearing purple skull caps. I see my mother's cat. I see my mother's dog. It was all confusing to me. This was in July. And I knew it couldn't have been my, my mother because she was so, so healthy. So we, we go now to, um, it's November. It's November. And there was nothing untoward that happened to my mother or anyone that I knew relating to those July dreams. But this is the purpose, by the way, of writing your dreams down in a journal so you could always go back and refer. And I could tell you now exactly the date and the time, you know, from that. So uh, I have a dream, Lilia. Lilia was the director of the Florida Society for Psychical Research. And I'm at Lilia's and uh, I see my mother is in the next room and she can't get up. She can't get out of bed. And I'm absolutely stunned that my mother had was there 
couldn't get out of bed. So that was one segment of a dream. And I'm shortening the dreams. The next night, the dream was I met a comedy club and the comedian who looked like Pat Romming, someone I knew from the Bahamas, says, well, I broke up with my girlfriend. I broke up with my girlfriend. Uh, and I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what that meant. The next night, my father calls from Philadelphia, the Philadelphia area, Doylestown, and says, your mother left me. This is real life now. She can't get out of bed. And I said, what do you mean she left me? Then he goes on to tell me, well, she's in the hospital. She had a problem with her heart. She had a problem. And the doc, now my mother never had heart problems. She never took heart pills, but she had a problem with her heart. So here were those two dreams. Now, I get to the hospital. It was coming up to our fourth wedding anniversary. And we never travel to Philadelphia just like that. But we decided to because it was our anniversary. And the dreams kind of made me uh, want to, to be there, to see my mother in the hospital, in the hospital. <sighs> we get there. The bottom line is a day after we were there and then I saw my mother, she was over-medicated in my view. And her heart exploded and she died and she died suddenly. I saw her before she died. She didn't know that she was being over medicated that night. She held my hand and she smiled and she said, you know, you're my best friend. Now, here's another thing, the precognitive environmental cue. Tom Paxton singing the song, Are You Going Away With No Word of Farewell, was playing in my mind repeatedly for 48 hours before. So we go back to the dream, the comedian, my mother couldn't get up, you know, type type of thing. Now, what the thing we know about precognitive dreams, they're our probable future, they're our possible future, but it's not inevitable. And I say that because I couldn't have changed my mom's passing. That was her soul's. That was under her soul's control, not mine. But what could I have changed? My connection with her. I could have told her she was such a compassionate and loving person, how blessed I was to have her as a mother. There are things we could control. So when we have these precognitive dreams, it's very important to note that they lead us to a place we're empowered. We have a choice you know, of what to do about them. Why didn't I fix the brakes? You know, for example, why didn't I said this already, but I'll say it again. Call my father, you know, type things. The message is there. So uh, the loss of my mother was devastating to me. And it was uh, months and months before I even felt myself. And it's very interesting. My whole left side of my body was was out and that's the female side i could barely function and i said you know it suddenly hit me and emmy i went back and every single one of those dreams that i had going back to july and i condensed them here gave me the information leading up to my mom's passing 
and I didn't do anything about it. And at that moment, I made a commitment, a strong commitment. This was, let's see, 1982. This was 1986. I made a commitment that I had to devote myself to precognition and to precognitive dreams and letting people know about them and letting people know how to access them. So here I am 50 years later. So 50 odd years later, let's say from those first dreams, still loving my precognitive dreams. I know you have more to share about this amazing story and this journey in your life with these precognitive dreams and experiences for those listening who don't have precognitive experiences or dreams, what might you suggest if they want to have them? Many of you might be scratching your head right now. And you said, what good is this going to do me? You're an expert. (laughs) And I said, I'm not the expert. I had to learn how to do this. You know, I didn't go to a walk, a talk, a class, or anything like that. I want you to empower yourself to learn. So here are some simple steps. What can you do? What can you do? First of all, you have to trust that you could do it. You have to trust. And before you go to sleep, devise any kind of phrase you could use, an affirmation. We could call it an incubation phrase. Tonight, my incub, tonight, I call it incubation. Tonight, my dreaming mind will show me something that is coming true, however you want to phrase it. And a very important part of this is taking the dream life seriously. And to do that, get your dream book, get your notebook, date it, and write down your day residue, your day notes of what's happened. Because often those day notes connect to a dream. And writing that in a journal is giving your dreaming mind serious notice that you're serious about your dreams. And I've done this with people, countless people, who never, never had a precognitive dream, and they started having precognitive dreams strongly, very, very strongly. So get your notebook, get your, I call it your incubation statement, Something you want to say about precognition. Something you want to have happen. I will remember my dreams. I will have a precognitive dream. My precognitive dream will tell me something. And it doesn't matter if what you get is short, two or three lines, or a longing. It doesn't matter. You have to have that dream book. And you have to practice. You have to practice. What became very important to me I started reading Alan Vaughn's book and he became not only a very dear friend, but a mentor to me because he was the king of precognition. And in the 1960s, 61, he he was having fabulous dreams and he used to dream about his dream tiger. And the dream tiger, like in ancient days, would prowl you know, and warn people of upcoming things. So taking it to the modern day, he would often uh, do an incubation phrase to his uh, dream tiger, a complete incubation phrase, you know, tell me, show me, make it clear, etc. 
I'm just making this very, very vague so you could fit in your own. But the idea of programming captured me. And I had my small group of maybe six to nine students that were doing home studies with me. And I said, you know, we have to program. We have to learn to program. So let's take uh, it's February. We're in the middle of a Midwest winter. And Emma, you know what that is like. Bird chills, cold. I live in one right now. <laughs> right, right. And, uh, and I come up with the programming phrase. Show us the next immobilizing weather disaster. That's what we said. Now, we thought we would, of course, dream of snowstorms. My dreamers go to work and they come up with, I'm in goopy goppy mud. It's up to my hips. It's up to my elbows. It's making me feel uncomfortable. Another scene, there are slides and slides of mud going on. Well, when we started comparing dreams, we couldn't get over what is all of this about with the muds and the mudslides. Do you know there was a disaster in Brazil at that very moment? Brazil, where it's warm, a national emergency in Brazil for the mudslides. And here my dreamers were cooking it up. So we knew this programming became pretty, pretty powerful. The next uh, session I said, uh, they're trying to find out who the Supreme next, who will be the next Supreme Justice uh, of the Supreme Court, the next Justice of the Supreme Court. And we programmed that. And I was awakened in the middle of the night and screaming in my ear, Anthony, Anthony. I didn't even know Anthony's name and that he was a contender for the, and of course it turned out to be Anthony Scalia, you know, <laughs> on, the, on the Supreme Court. So the idea of programming really got my attention. And uh, we started programming our dreams. Programming, by the way, also means incubating. And that's the direction that I was going in with the with the students. Programming is the same as incubation, which also is connected to having an intention of the kind of dream you would like to have. I hope this isn't too confusing. I say programming, I say incubation. What, what do they both mean and have in common? They set an intention. So whether you use those words or not doesn't matter. You are setting your intention that you want information about an upcoming event. Well, I started playing around with this with my students, and we were absolutely amazed what was coming up, you know, with this. I was teaching my students about setting an intention and incubating. I had their examples. I had my examples. And I saw that there was going to be a dream conference in Marymount, Virginia. And it was the fourth annual meeting of the Association for the Study of Dreams. And I said, you know, this stuff is fascinating. And I am absolutely committed now to putting the word out on precognition. So this turned out to be the first of my studies on exploratory dreams, exploratory precognitive dreams, the first of a six-year study. So what's important here is to mention that 
I went to the fourth annual conference. It was June 5th, 1987. Nobody really knew what I was talking about with precognition. A couple people knew. Stanley Krupner knew. He took me aside and he said, you have to continue with this work. Rita Dwyer knew. She said, this is fascinating. You have to continue with this work. And I did. And, uh, you know, on through the present, I'm still there continuing with this work. So how did I get to be a professor now? How did I get to teach? So picking up with my life path dream, if you remember, with Weston Abor. And Weston um, is doing his research and stuff, and he's written his book. And I'm minding my business in Grand Rapids, you know, doing my teaching with my small group and all. And one night, uh, we went to Unity Services. After a Unity service, a man came over who was the undergraduate chair at Aquinas College in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And he shows me this book, Intuitive Management. And he said, look at this book. You like intuition. Do you think you could teach this course? Guess what I did? I opened the book and I showed him the dedication. There was my name. <laughs> and that's all it took for him to see my name. And I said, yes, <laughs> I was an inspiration for this man who wrote the book. I could surely teach this course. Now, I didn't tell him I didn't know anything about business as the business people were studying, but I knew I could teach intuition and I knew that I could adapt it. So that was the undergraduate. Well, that didn't satisfy me. I heard there was a graduate program, a master's in management program. And one day <laughs> I met the chair in the copy machine room <laughs> and I introduced myself and he said, I know who you are. You're, you're teaching this course that everybody's talking about with the undergraduates. So we got to talking and I said, you know, I'd like to teach that for you, for the graduates. He said, that's a good idea. Well, guess what I taught for the next 10 years? Integrating intuition and logic for managers. Now notice what happened here. We didn't just take the word intuition, but it's the integration of the intuition and the logic, because, you know, we're of two minds. And that was very important for me to emphasize. And so I'm teaching in a business division. And, uh, man, they are having dreams come true. When they started doing dreams, and I told them they had to have a journal. <laughs> you know, they laughed. This was silly. And they were coming to me uh, eventually with incredible dreams. You know, they're dreaming of solutions to things that were just kind of impossible. One man said, you know, we, we needed a fix and we couldn't find out what to do. And I had a dream and it showed me that, uh, you know, some wires were crossed. Nobody showed me that before. And he came in the next day they, and they had given, been given a costly fix. He came in the next day after his practice and he crossed the wires and everything was fine. So, you know, Incredible things were happening. Um, so I was coming back to Weston Agor. So here was me. I'm not only teaching, but I'm teaching graduate people. And I needed to write a book 
because the two books out on intuition were just about intuition. Nobody had a how-to book. And I not only needed a how-to book, but I needed a how-to book in the business arena. And it's not just business, because this is nurses, this is people on every walk of life. It's in the business of living. So enter my dear friend, Jeffrey Mishlow. You've heard his name. <laughs> thinking aloud to the new thinking aloud. And Jeffrey, as he may have said many times, was given a grant by Lynn Charlson. Jeffrey also has said what? He was given the Intuition Network, he took it over from Weston Agor. Okay, getting back to my life path dream. Here's Weston. I'm not only teaching intuition, but I'm now in touch with Jeffrey, with his work with the Intuition Network. He was gathering people together. He had a listserv of people. Jeffrey had a group of five, six people that we were advising him about conferences. We held conferences with the Intuition Network. All of this was going on, and all of this came out of Weston Agor. Weston Agor. So my my continuation with this is the grantor, Lynn Charleston, was interested in my work that I was doing, and I had a very uh, healthy, respectable grant to make slides. We made slides in those days <laughs> to make slides for my classes, to make any material that I needed, to interview people. I interviewed business people that expanded to well-known people, and those interviews went into my book, Power Hunch, my third book. So it was just so exciting for me to see this whole life path. And what am I doing? I'm still talking about intuition. I'm giving talks, you know, I give workshops and seminars. I love, I love my precognitive dreams. They just give me a wealth of information. And I'll tell you one that was very life-saving for me. I'm in Grand Rapids, and I have a dream that a tall female physician comes and tells me, you have cancer. And I say, I don't have cancer. You're a quack. I got very animated. You're a quack. You're a phony. I don't have cancer. Well, I woke up from that dream, and I did what every woman does, you know, breast examination. I just didn't believe that I have cancer. And it's days later. I had an appointment. I had a very small dot. This is real life now, at the end of my nose. And I went to see a new dermatologist. And I'm lying there being examined. And next thing I know, blood is flirting all over the place. Well, what's going on here? What's what's happening? And uh, I, I said to him, you know, what what's going on? He said, well, I thought you needed surgery. So I had to take a biopsy to see if I'm right. How invasive is this? He never asked my permission to do this. I'm a public speaker. Do I want to go out there with my nose all bandaged up? I could have had that red bulb on my nose type thing. Uh, I, I just was flabbergasted at what happened. So when we finish, uh, he does the biopsy. I come back to his office uh, a week later. And uh, he says, you know, you're, you're all clear, but I still think 
you need surgery. So I said, my little Taurus rising said to me, how much is it? And he said, well, you know, it'll be probably about $10,000, the work that you need done. At that moment, guess what happened? I remembered that dream. And instead of a tall female physician, it was a short female, a short male uh, physician. And remember, I said in the dream, you're a quack, you're a phony. Well, that gave me the courage to say this man, thanks, but no thanks. I don't need any surgery. And I walked out of there. And I found it was not only life-saving for me, but he was involved in lawsuits. People were at his throat. I didn't know of any of that when I went in. But look how my intuitive healer, my dreaming mind, gave me that life-saving information. Why do you think you've been gifted with these precognitive dreams? There are probably those listening who wish they just naturally had them because they seem to come so easily for you. The message I want to give is to inspire people, to empower them. We all have this ability. Emma, you and I love intuition and we talk about it. We know everybody has intuition. I mean, I'm with business people and they're telling me they don't have intuition. I remember talking to Rich DeVos, the founder of Amway, and he's given me one brilliant thing that happened after another. And uh, I'll, I'll get back to this question. And, and Rich is saying, uh, you know, I said, Rich, you're intuitive. He said, I don't have intuition. Well, I said, yeah, I have hunches. He says, yes, I have hunches. I have gut feelings. So I think people have to believe in themselves that it can be done. What I love is after every time I give a talk on dreams, people are coming back and say, you know, I haven't talked for a long time. My father came to me and told me this. My girlfriend came. I found out. So I would like the person I would like anyone who is listening to trust. You can do what I do. Trust me, you could do it. And you have to be excited about the news bulletins you're going to get, for better or for worse. My goodness, uh, when I was in Berkeley, I dreamt that a friend of mine who was, uh, had a book that was being shopped to publishers, and she was her editor, her agent was shopping this book, and I dreamt that she was getting 30000 I told her about it. And Sharon said to me, no way. She said, my agent said, you're getting 10000 and that's final. I said, you go back and tell her about my dream that I said you're getting 30000 The agent went back. She got 30000 She got 30000 I mean, that's just, you know, uh, the, the things, the gifts, the riches that could come your way are inspiring to say, you know, if Marcia Emery could do it, she says I could do it. And I say, you can do it. I empower you <laughs> to be, you know, the own expert of your dream, to be your own precognitive expert and to go for it. Wise words, of course, from you, Marcia. I never read about this. I didn't know what it was, and it was a journey. I didn't hear a talk. I didn't hear a class. The same thing with my intuition. I didn't read books about it. I ended up writing perhaps the first book about it, major book that was, you know, written about it. And, uh, you know, I just want to uh, inspire people um, that they could receive information about positive futures from the intuitive voice within 
And that's the important thing to hold tight to that. Um, to dare to believe, to trust and to dare to believe. And I mean, I have so many more things because I still have my precognitive dreams. And maybe someday you and I will dare to talk about astrology because people say, how do you know? How do you know? Well, you know, this is a funny thing. When Way back when I was exploring initially with my little group, uh, they were getting doves. They were getting birds. They were getting people that they knew. One gal was getting Jane Seymour. This is to indicate that the dream was precognitive. She said, I wonder why I get Jane Seymour. And I said, she wants you to see more. Jane Seymour. And for me, I would get psychics or people who were connected with Psy. And I would get my mother. And my mother was in already deceased in the other realm. And she would come back and watch me and send me, you know, information as well. But, you know, it, it's to get in touch. But I mentioned astrology. Uh, we, we can talk about this more at some point. But I know for myself, you know, when my dreams, uh, you know, you could go by the water signs. I have what I call an astrology uh, carter on my chart. That is when my precognitive dreams are going to be stronger. Some people get it at the new moon. Some people at the full moon. Some people when the moon is in Cancer, Pisces, Scorpio, or Sagittarius, or wherever. Chart your own and find your own. Well, on that note of astrology, do you think you have any indications in your natal chart that allow you to be so precognitive and psychic and intuitive? Well, how about three Pisces planets in my 11th house of Aquarius? <laughs> For starters. <laughs> Is there any more you want to share about your journey into precognition? The information that we get is just absolutely priceless. And um, I think of diet. I think of dreams. And uh, my buddy Ed Kellogg talks about he gets information from his dreamitarian diet, tells him what to eat. Well, I started having dreams about the nuts, the seeds, <laughs> the particular things, the avocados that I need to eat daily. And, and it was just fascinating, just, just fascinating. And I think, you know, I think what one has to do is experiment with this. And I'll, I'll end one last kind of story that goes back to when I was living in Berkeley. And I was so touched by programming. And I wanted to find out where Mike Malone was. Mike Malone was my original kind of dance teacher in Washington, D.C. And he's a well-known choreographer. And I mentioned he knew Debbie Allen. So I had this dream where I knew Debbie. And I said, in the dream, I said, Debbie, I'm trying to find Mike. He doesn't live in Washington anymore. Where does he live? Show me. Tell me. I had a dream. Debbie comes in the dream and she said, you ask where Mike is living. Mike is now living on the west side in New York City. Get in touch with him. So I got the instructions. None is it very, very brief. I get in touch and I call, uh, I call the operator in New York to find out where there is a Mike Malone on the west side. She gives me the phone number. I validate it. I call. 
Mike answers the phone. He said, Mickey, he recognized my voice. He said, how did you find me? I just moved here yesterday. I just moved here yesterday. So I want people to dare to believe, you know, they could find information about themselves, get healing. I mean, these are the joys of precognitive dream. There's a wealth of information, bulletins. It's there for you, for your asking, for your incubating, for your intention. Marcia Emery, thank you so much for all that you've shared here today. And I also just want to mention on a personal note that I remember you from when Jeffrey Mishlov interviewed you on the original Thinking Aloud public television program, I think back in the 80s. And you have really inspired me and so many others. So thank you so much for being with me today. Well, well, thank you, Emmy. And your words uh, touch my heart. And as I said earlier, You've come a long way, baby, you, me. <laughs> and we could say that to any of us as we start uh, tuning in within and treasuring and honoring the uh, intuitive voice within. Remember the precognition is the voice of intuition that speaks. Because in waking physical reality, that's what, that's our intuition. Our intuition in waking physical reality is precognition. So that's the intimacy between the two of them, two of them. So thank you so much for acknowledging what I have done <laughs> and what I continue to do. You're very welcome. It's such a pleasure and an honor to speak with you. And for those of you listening or watching, thank you for being with us. Mm-hmm.